there is something about being a smaller startup that encourages risk taking, encourages, you know, thinking differently about a market or differently about a technology. Yeah. And I and I think, you know, with the best will in the world, as companies get larger, uh, they find it harder to really make those innovative leaps or maybe even challenge their own business model. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and today we're with Sam Daish from Black Pearl Group. Great to have you uh, joining us this is the, for the first time. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks for uh, taking the time. And you're, you're Wellington-based, aren't you? I am Wellington-based. So, so, yeah, thank you for inviting me up. I finally get to uh, experience a bit of warmth uh, <laughs> up here in Auckland. It hasn't rained on me yet, so uh, that's a good day, I think. Yeah, well, maybe you can fill listeners in on sort of, you know, where you fit into this big, wide world of uh, tech. Oh, what a question. Well, so currently I'm CTO for Black Pearl Group, uh, which is a New Zealand-based technology company, data and technology company. Uh, and prior to that, I've worked for Curious, which is the uh, one of the consulting arms of Spark, uh, Kiwi Bank, uh, and Xero, where I was the data innovation uh, general manager. And Prior to that, worked in London for about 10 years, which was fascinating. Had a baby daughter, and so just had to uh, come back with the family to live in Wellington again. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's an uh, amazing time to be in tech, so I feel very, very fortunate. Yeah, it really is. So um, yeah, really looking forward to, to you know getting a bit of an update on what's happening um, with, with Black Pearl Group. It was it's probably roughly a year or so since we sort of first got a little bit of an introduction. Mm. Uh, we know you, that uh, you're doing a sort of a, a, a funding round at the, at the moment, raising some funds. Um, I saw something pop up in my sharesies app about that. That's uh, great. I, um, I, I assume you've day. invested, Paul. I, I know we can count on <laughs> you. <laughs> Um, onto on on the show. So we've got a bit to talk about in terms of you know local things. We'll, we'll talk through that, what's happening in the, on the sort of global front from a, a tech perspective, and then yeah, really keen to sort of come back and, and delve into uh, you know some of your learnings and, and experiences, uh, you know, leading um, the the technology side of things at, at Black Pearl, and mm. um, you know how that how that journey's uh, going. It sounds like things have certainly been. Uh, you know, ramping up. So, uh, yeah, really fascinating. Uh, but we should also thank and recognise our show partners. Uh, so thank you to 1NZ, uh, Spark, 2 Degrees, HP and Guerrilla Technology for their support, not only of the New Zealand Tech Podcast, but of course the, the broader uh, tech and innovation ecosystems uh, within New Zealand. In terms of local news, um, we were alerted that Spark have confirmed that they have now uh, taken over 100% of Adroit, who, of course, um, yeah, we had um, Ulrich Furk on, on the New Zealand Tech Podcast just a few months ago, who leads things there from a technical perspective and, and co-founder there. Adroit very much uh, focused on, on using you know, Internet of Things, IoT technologies for environmental uh, monitoring and, and, yeah, quite a fascinating business. So, yeah, interesting to see, uh, you know, Spark 
doing, you know, continuing on the the acquisition path because they've they've made quite a number of of acquisitions really over the last decade or, or so, haven't they? And, yeah, uh, yeah, they have. It seems have. to be a, a key part of their their DNA these days. It does, and, and this story made me happy because I, I used to work with the IoT team a lot when I was at Curious, uh, yes. leading the AI team there, and. Um, the power that IoT can bring to that environmental space is just huge. And so, you know, being able to test water quality, air quality, you know, noise pollution, um, keeping people in the right places, the safe environments, this is just such a powerful area. And it's, I think your typical person maybe doesn't think about that when they think about mobile technology and, mm, mm. and cellular uh, networks but you know this stuff is incredibly connected and, and that's where the power is so yeah it made me uh, as I say genuinely happy to, to see that news story come across that mm, mm. that spark has been toying with this area for a little yeah, bit or yeah. sorry not toying investigating this area yeah. for a bit has, yeah. has well, really they, made they, a move they what, uh, up to about 50 percent you know, of the business, they made that investment, and and yeah. now they've you know doubled doubled down. Why why do you think uh, you know a company like Spark would be making this this sort of maneuver? You know, it's it's interesting. Sort of, we we look at our, our telco type firms, and it's it's. I mean, it seems to me as though. Spark have have probably sort of diversified their business uh, more more than one um, NZ mm. and and two degrees that you know and I guess each 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 of our big telecommunications companies of course they have their their unique differences and in, in fact it's kind of getting harder to sort of pigeonhole them and and describe them these days Indeed. because they tend to be getting involved in more you know, more areas of of, of, uh, of technology, don't they, over time? Yeah, I mean, an acquisition like this, I, I think, has really got to be about the innovation that it provides. So there is something about being a smaller startup that encourages risk-taking, encourages, you know, thinking differently about a market or differently about a technology. Yeah. And I... And I think, you know, with the best will in the world, as companies get larger, uh, they find it harder to really make those innovative leaps or maybe even challenge their own business model to, mm, to some mm, extent. Mm. I don't think this is doing that. But so I think, you know, taking, you know, letting it, having a uh, percentage um, ownership of it and then bringing it in, I think, you know, they'll really be trying to absorb that innovation focus yeah, as well yeah. as the high-quality product yep. that Adroit's got. Yep. Now, let's jump into the global stories. There's some some quite fascinating things that we've heard in the last few days. A couple of media outlets have been reporting on Amazon apparently spending $1 billion on Microsoft 365 subscriptions. Now, when I when I read this, and it's being reported sort of by big names as well, like Reuters, it's not just, you know, some sort of small, obscure outlet sort of saying that this is a rumour, although it's certainly there's no press releases to uh, 
to confirm it, but you know when you've got the likes of Reuters, mm. uh, you know, covering it and uh, in, indicating documentation from I think it was inside uh, Microsoft, then this has got to carry a fair degree of weight. Now, you know, maybe it doesn't go go ahead, but uh, it lo- looks reasonably uh, reasonably certain that this is this is a new direction for Amazon, and so a billion dollars. Uh, we're told that's over. Over a period of uh, of five years, uh, but even so, that's still that's still a, a large amount for uh, you know companies that that you know very much compete with each other for mm. one to be spending mm. uh, with an, with another. I'm sure whoever uh, was involved in that uh, sale. Uh, will be feeling quite uh, quite chuffed when that. Yeah. Hits. I wonder uh, if they have a commission element yeah, to their, get, their sales program. Get finalized, <laughs> but how, however they're rewarded, I'm sure they'll they'll come out okay after yeah. a deal like that. Probably set you up career wise, wouldn't it? If you weren't already on a on a good trajectory, pulling something like that off, you'd be famous, um, wouldn't you? Famous inside <laughs> the company. Yeah, I thought there were two things that, as you say, it was a fascinating news story. Mm. Like, firstly a billion dollars and, uh, you know, a million licenses, so a million seats, which just shows how freaking large these companies are. You know, New Zealand population, what, just under 5 million, isn't it now? Uh, maybe 5.5. 5. 5. 5. So, so if we're, yeah, if we're talking, uh, yeah, that's a... That's a lot of people. I think we looked, looked it up and, and Amazon, you know, across the entire business... Uh, a little over, it was somewhere between 1.5 and 1.6 million uh, people, which is a, a, a very hard number to get your head around. Absolutely astounding. Yeah. Yeah. And and so that, what an incredible reminder of just how big these companies are. But the other thing that I found fascinating was, you know, clearly they don't think that this is where the competition's going to happen or where... Uh, victory is going to be, you know, made. So, you know, where where do they think that that they'll be coming up against each other, and where they won't form these partnerships? Mm, so, I mm. thought that was fascinating. And, yeah, you know, well, interesting. I think most people don't even realise that um, you know that AWS are are competing or have been competing with Microsoft in that sort of office productivity world. Uh, you know, I think we're, we're we're all pretty used to the fact that there's. Yeah, there, there's there's Microsoft and and, 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 yeah. and and there's Google, but yeah, when it when it comes to Amazon, I don't think there's there's as much awareness. And of course, Google have been through multiple sort of name changes. Google Workspace is their is their current mm. branding, but as time goes on, we're seeing Google's market share uh, certainly appear to sort of be slipping away when it comes to in that in that productivity side, uh, you know, more and more of the businesses that you maybe heard, of, oh, you know, they're they're a they're a Google shop, they're using Google Workspace, and then you you know you hear back a year or two later, oh no, they've ditched that and moved to Microsoft, and and then yeah, I was kind of curious because we yeah we saw uh, Amazon you know competing mm. in that front. Um, Probably the Amazon Chime product is the one I've come across the the most. Probably just in, in meetings with people from Amazon, uh, where they're like, "Oh, we're having the meeting on uh, on, on Chime." Chime. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll uh, probably usually just access it through through a browser. But you know, as as your alternative to to, to Google Meet or, or Microsoft Teams or Zoom, 
and 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 so on. But uh, this this would sort of suggest that the nays might be uh, very well uh, numbered for mm. their own, or or that we're not going to see a whole lot of innovation in that space, considering you know they're a, they're a long way you know they're a long way down the list. I you know I would have thought if there was a third player, it might be Zoho out of India in that area who kind of compete price wise as, as well as having a um you know a broad suite of of tools crm mm, and mm. um yeah really lots and lots of pieces uh you know to to the puzzle for for those who are uh maybe a bit more price conscious but yeah with with amazon uh you know go, going down the microsoft track it's uh, it's, it's going to really um you know i think change change the picture Further or maybe accelerate uh, people's consideration of probably mostly Microsoft versus Google. To be to be fair, yeah, I would have thought so. And, and the only kind of piece, I guess, that really surprised me if this is true is uh, that they would give up the opportunity to embed some of the new AI kind of services, um, which they're very strong in. So, you know, Microsoft, of course, has um, Copilot, I think it's their broad name for it. We were talking about a little bit uh, before the podcast began and, you know, making huge strides in that space. And interesting that, you know, they would uh, give up the opportunity to maybe play with that a little bit more themselves by, um, you know, going with the Microsoft uh, options. So that's kind of interesting, I think. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a bit more that comes through when, you know, when this becomes, you know, when there's a formal announcement. And it might well be that Microsoft, you know, they, they want to be careful from a, a monopoly perspective and, and so on. That's a great point. So great. They, they might well be opening up 365 uh, to, to other players. Now, it would be probably reasonably natural that – if, any, if if people are going to buy a co-pilot or an AI assistant to to sit on top of or work very closely with 365, that most customers by default will just buy the Microsoft option. Yes. Um, but actually, yeah, there, there, there's room, I would think, for other players and they might just be more comfortable in that other player being somebody who – is not eating any of their lunch when it comes to you know market share of the the three six five product. So yeah, that's uh, a good perspective. Yeah. But there's definitely room for plugins or add-ons mm, or mm. yeah. yeah so yeah, I'm kind of curious how that plays out. And and then you know the other aspect you know which I I often lament when when somebody gets too much market share and I now start worrying about this with three six five is whether we get back into that position. Where you know the innovation uh, maybe falls off a little bit on on Microsoft's uh, you know front and that willingness to really uh, compete as their market share goes up and up mm. uh, on three six five does do things sort of start to start to slow down or it's and it's not necessarily that things start to slow down on the product front can always be that. Uh, it's just the prices keep going up, right? <laughs> so, uh, which is is probably where Microsoft would prefer to have it. Uh, yeah. and, and so, you know, um, I'm sure here's not the first place you've heard it, but uh, 
keep keep a watch on those Microsoft subscriptions and uh, maybe it, it'll be very interesting to look sort of five or ten years out from from here with a lot of dominance um, and and if you know their co-pilots are, are well used uh, we we could all be paying a, a lot more money uh, in in the direction of um, the folks at Redmond. So uh, yeah, yeah, as the person that pays the IT bills in Black Pearl, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm very aware of this point, Paul. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, there's there's a huge amount of productivity that can be gained uh, through these kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it hurts when the price point goes up. Absolutely, and and look, and I think that's that that's the flip side, isn't it? As we don't generally mind, you know, paying more. If we're getting, you know, if we're getting the the return yeah. on investment, um, but it's when you know the prices keep going up and uh, yeah, the technology has failings uh, that that becomes a problem. So, um, just on the the numbers of people front, um, I was curious where Amazon fits versus Walmart because mm. you know if we we put aside the AWS business, which is you know a lot less. You know, much a, a small percent of their of the, the staff for for Amazon um, overall. I don't know what the total breakdown is. And we look at Walmart, who's their you know the competition on the retail front, who yeah. um, obviously have got a huge physical presence with their stores across across the US, uh, as well as a you know a growing uh, e-commerce side of the business that also. Has marketplace type functions, you know, somewhat like like you know Amazon, but a, a certainly a, a lower market share when it comes to to the e-commerce side. Two point three million people for Walmart. Um, wow! So it's it's kind of a, a even more mind blowing number. <laughs> We should have got uh, listeners to uh, write in with their guesses, Paul. Yeah. We could have given away a prize. But I, I would have guessed slightly smaller. So yeah. isn't that interesting? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess not living in the US, it's hard to um, comprehend quite how pervasive some of these. Yeah, uh, well, I've noticed that with, with, you know, with Walmart and having been into, into a few of the stores over the years and, and be in places that you feel like you're in the back of beyond – yeah, you're on a road trip somewhere, and it's like, oh, there's Walmart here. We'll pop into Walmart, grab some, you know, yeah, groceries like a, and bits a, and pieces, yeah, and, and a double know, bed, whatever it is. And a gazebo and, and a, yeah, it's insane how big those stores are. But uh, yeah, they're, they're they're sort of maybe not quite the IKEA scale, but but when you realise that they're all over the the US, it's uh, yeah, it does kind of blow your mind. So they have. 10,500, according to yeah their, their corporate website, uh, stores and clubs in 19 countries. So, mm. uh, yeah. Um, oh, mean? they're saying current numbers are 2.1 million associates worldwide, of which 1.6 are in the, in the US. So okay. wherever that other stat came from, um, maybe that has uh, got the... Slightly incorrect info. Anyway, some some big big numbers there. Um, Now Intel, about this time or or so every year, we get you know we get an announcement of uh, new chips uh, launching, and so they've landed with their uh, you know fourteenth gen uh, processors. So 
I guess in uh, probably the next sort of six to nine months, we will we will see those. Uh, we will we will see the fourteenth gen sort of come through in our laptops, mm. which of course is, you know, most of us aren't actually buying uh, desktop chips anymore. <laughs> um, you know, unless yeah. unless you're into sort yeah. of gaming or some sort of high end high end workstation, but it tends to be the you know the desktop uh, CPUs or, or, or processors that uh, that land first. Um, and yeah, quite interesting reading reading some of the uh, some of the details and and uh, and and stats there, uh, and just you know how they they do or don't kind of compete um, with with what we're seeing from uh, from AMD, mm. uh, and of course you look across at uh, you know at, at Apple, um, you know they've managed to to ditch the. Uh, the Intel chips uh, in, entirely, and uh, um, yeah, seems to be working out reasonably well for them on the on the laptop front. What, are you are you a, a MacBook uh, type user y- yourself? Yeah. You said earlier you used a Mac. Yeah, I am Mac. I, I used to be Windows, but uh, I think my wife encouraged me to move to to Mac because that's what she was on. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's great. It's great. I am a bit of a computer gamer as well, though, and. Uh, uh, Windows definitely has the better options. So yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, and it's it, interesting. I saw one of the big Taiwanese companies, chip manufacturers, is looking to open up in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, just for that security perspective, because uh, you know just everything we're using is just so dependent on the supply. Mm, uh, mm, so yeah, mm. it's fascinating to see AMD and Intel continuing this kind of gradual one-upmanship, you know, yeah, iteration. Yeah. Yeah, there's been a lot going on in that story, and uh, yeah, I think so, you know some good work going on at Intel, and you know it looks like this uh, this 14th gen series of of chips is probably moves them forward at a at a somewhat sort of typical sort of pace, but we're we're seeing uh, processes come through now with increasing. Uh, number of cores, so their i5 chips, which I guess is sort of the standard run of the mill, uh, coming through that for for desktops have got um, 14 cores in there. So, you know, like like uh, in in the old days, having well, you could have never had that many processors in, no. a, in, a, in a in a standard desktop computer. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's you know it's a fair bit of power. And they split those up between your, you know, your high performance or your performance cores and and the mm. other efficiency, you know, based ones that are, uh, a, you know, lower lower power utilization. So six performance cores and uh, um, eight of of these uh, efficient ones. Um, but uh, from from what I'm picking and um, had a, had a look at. Um, uh, what Paul Alcorn had uh, had written up at Tom's Hardware. Uh, which is a is a great place for you know feeds and speeds all the sort of information ar- around the, the these chips. Um, yeah, the 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 i5 is 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 probably you know a reasonably good sort of um, uh, sweet spot in terms of uh, in terms of of uh, you know performance. Um, but at the at the top top level, looks like uh, AMD um, are. Uh, are winning with their uh, their Ryzen nine uh, uh, is able to uh, yeah perform the the deliver the best 
uh, at the moment. So um, yeah, it's good good to see these companies trying to uh, one up each other and and competing well. So long may that competition yeah healthy uh, competition is last. What it's all about isn't it? And uh, and and good to see the sort of arm based uh, processes also uh, you know playing their part. And I, I hope we will see. We will see some change there on the on the window side, and they're not you know not too many years off, uh, because it, yeah, it, it's it's pretty odd when your your Mac can just you know a MacBook can can get you know, so much longer battery mm. life uh, than that a Windows uh, Windows machine. Um, other things, we, there's always things going on when it comes to sort of space and, and aerospace and. Uh, you know, exciting to see New Zealand, uh, you know, playing in that that world. Um, Starlink has has you know, been very helpful for uh, for a lot of people who are maybe you know outside of of access to um, good good fast uh, internet connectivity. Uh, but we now see that um, after you know quite a few delays, uh, Amazon. Earlier this month, have launched uh, two satellites uh, into space that uh, will be, uh, I guess, their their platform for uh, testing their 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 competing option to Starlink. Mm. So we're going to end up with with a kind of crazy uh, scenario over time where we've got you know these you know not only have we got multiple you know mobile networks. On the ground, incredible fibre here in New Zealand on the ground, um, but then also you know the global competitors sort of beaming connectivity uh, back back down as well. So it, you know I think it, it's kind of anyone's guess exactly you know how this is going to going to play out. But when you've got a few players doing you know uh, crossing over, mm. uh, it, it, it's got a uh, you know, put some put some pressure on, uh, you know, either prices or, or we'll get some unique uh, capabilities. And of course, we have our local uh, telcos who, who, you know, we we, we look at, uh, you know, Vodafone. Uh, what am I calling them? Vodafone One NZ, uh, who who are you know going with with Starlink mm. uh, for for that um, you know mobile uh, broader mobile coverage, uh, and then uh, Two Degrees and and Spark. Um, you know, with with another option there, so uh, yeah, every, everyone sort of comes out uh, comes out a winner uh, on on these things. Pro- probably other than those who's uh, uh, you know might lose a little bit of market share or or see you know extra pressure on on what they can build in the future. And if that gets too out of kilter in a place <coughs> like New Zealand, it doesn't doesn't always play so well. But um, mostly this stuff's looking pretty good at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, space is getting pretty crowded up there, isn't it? But yes, it's an amazing new kind of infrastructure, isn't it? Like, you know, we're used to, used to thinking about pipes and roads and mm. cell towers and the satellites in the sky is just this, you know, I guess it's not even that new, but, you know, for us it's a, it's a new infrastructure. And I think in New Zealand we're not really aware of just how much of the world's population relies on these kinds of things because they don't have that other infrastructure. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, we, we, you know, we very quickly come to rely on, you know, the likes of GPS and 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 so exactly. on. And uh, you know, we probably don't have too many other 
other options if those things were to were to stop working. Um, I, one thing I did try in the in the last uh, last few weeks, I was down at uh, Fox Glacier uh, with with my son and uh, a bit of a father son uh, trip nice. weekend away, and um, and I thought, boy. I bet if you're up on Fox Glacier, there's probably not much mobile coverage. And I've been wondering... <laughs> you're a true geek, you know? <laughs> rather than looking at the, the glacier, like, can oh, I get no, good cell coverage? We had fun on the glacier, <laughs> I can assure you. But lots of uh, GoPro footage and, awesome. and awesome. so on, testing out the new GoPro 12, which, um, yeah, by the way, they, they're doing a... A great job on their their ecosystem. So we'll we'll probably do another another um, yeah podcast to delve into a, a little bit of that. Um, but yeah, it was great to be able to take the GoPro um, and also try out the um, the iPhone um, 15 Pro. So I've been reviewing both of those recently and just getting getting a feel for them. Mm. And um, yeah, boy, it's nice to have some small gadgets that you can take that bring back you know stunning photos and footage. But what I really wanted to try because I ha- haven't had a had a chance previously was the um, the satellite capabilities that are now built into the iPhone 15 and in the 14. And how did it and go? And so I didn't have fortunately I didn't have the emergency scenario where we needed to call them <laughs> emergency services, which was which was good. But um, what a lot of people don't realise is that even if you're not in an emergency, if you've pre-configured um, up front, you can use the Find My uh, capability within um, within iOS to share your location uh, with somebody else when you're uh, out mm-hmm. of mobile coverage. So I was able to do that and uh, and ping, uh, you know, uh, my my location. Uh, off to my brother, who I had warned in advance that uh, if, if, wasn't he got, an if, if he got if he some communication <laughs> from me, uh, that that wasn't to say you know send send send, send, send a rescue uh, party out because it would just be me testing, um, and yeah, you have to point your you have to um, you have to point the phone. You have to get the right uh, really? direction. So that's obviously a reflection of the the technology and the the antenna for um, the the what what Apple are using at the moment. Um, but it was very 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 easy, and it shows you you know what to do. And I, I tried it in one or two other locations as well, getting the connectivity. And uh, yeah, very 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 good. So it's nice to know if you're on the. The latest from Apple that you can tap into that capability right now, and uh, you know we we will see those capabilities expand. Of course, um, the other bit on the the satellites uh, that that I picked up in uh, some of the the uh, latest info is we see that um, uh, the Starlink crew are a little bit upset with, uh, I guess that competitors in the US, so mm. uh, they're accusing AT&T and the Rural Wireless Association of, this is as it reads, waging a desperate 11th hour campaign uh, basically to prevent them doing their testing of their, um, their, their second generation Starlink satellites, which have the mobile cell sites on, on board. So this ah. is the technology... Uh, you know that that one uh, NZ will be, uh, you know, delivering to customers uh, in New Zealand uh, from you know at some some stage uh, next year, and they're not getting the 
not getting to test it as, quite as they as they wanted was uh, was the coverage that we saw this time last week. So I'm kind of curious to see uh, how that plays out. So there's a little bit of a sort of battle there over what uh, you know what dramas that their uh, direct to cellular uh, communications what issues those might cause for mm. other networks. You can understand um, why they would resist it, can't you? But uh, seems fruitless to to try and hold that back. Yeah, well, I think in the US, uh, Starlink have signed an exclusive de- uh, deal with uh, T-Mobile. So, yeah, of course, the other carriers don't want uh, T-Mobile being in that uh, in that position. Yeah. yeah, it's a hot space, isn't it? I mean, yeah, connectivity yeah. is such a huge thing. Uh, it's a it's a real um, real contested area, and and especially when you're you know somewhere like the US, where you know you you've you've got some you know pretty challenging terrain, and people spread out mm, you know far and, far and wide over you know over over a huge continent. So um, yeah, this type of technology, it won't be too many years, and it'll all just be second nature. This is what we've got, and we're all. We're all used to it, but in the meantime, whoever moves first has that, you know, sort of potentially puts them in quite a quite a strong uh, position. And I guess you know we're we're seeing we're seeing a taste of that with where you know Apple are at the moment mm, with that mm. emergency communication capability. You know, versus if you you know if you buy an Android handset as of, as of now, you don't have access to that sort of uh, capability. So, you know, yeah, that's it's a, it's a real a, hardware component yeah. to, to all of this, isn't it? As, as you found, even just, you know, having to point it in the right direction is, you know, I'm sure that won't be true in a, a year or two. No, it sounds it sounds like, yeah, it will it will become a um, a reasonably sort of you know mm. easy to use type uh, type capability. Um, now, just on the um, on the, on the front of scams and, and cybersecurity, a couple of bits of news. The one that caught my attention uh, the most actually, and this was Amazon and Microsoft somewhat working, working together, together yeah. with um, the Indian authorities. And there has now been a raid of a whole bunch, uh, uh, 76 uh, searches carried out uh, in relation to five uh, different cases of these uh, fake tech support operators who convince people via Mm. online pop-ups or outgoing calls, what have you, uh, that uh, that they have an issue and that they need to talk to uh, to Microsoft uh, or Amazon, and um, and I, I had one of the Amazon ones actually. Uh, I think I think it was oh, I think it was it was it was, it was it was last year uh, where I got an incoming call from Amazon, and the first the first part of it was very professionally done. Yes. Um, you know, before I kind of you know tweaked as to. As to what someone what, was what going they on. were trying to yeah. do, and so yeah, it, look, this is quite encouraging because yeah, we've we've heard about these you know different scams coming out of you know sometimes very specific parts of the world, mm. but often we don't uh, we don't see them uh, held to any sort of account. So yeah, this, was this was very to pleasing see. to see that you know all these raids were you know were, were carried out uh, you know very very quickly. Um, in in varying varying parts of uh, varying parts of India, and uh, you know, it looks like the sort of thing that's going to uh, um, you know bring a re- bring a reduction in those those tech support scams, at I least mean, in in the short term, and uh, you know, potentially 
will you know scare off a few people if if there's some lengthy uh, jail sentences and so on involved. But I don't know what the realities are on on that front and and how hard they will be able to prosecute them. Yes, you would hope so, wouldn't you? I mean, it's the stuff is an absolute scourge to you know us as individuals and, and businesses out there, and uh, it's a it's an absolute business mm. for these mm. people. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, they're run very professionally. Um, and so, yeah, the more that the providers, such as the ones you mentioned, can supply the right information so that the authorities can crack down on it, I mean, that, that's fantastic. Yeah, and the other, um, the other one in the last, uh, last few days was um, that we heard that um, law enforcement agencies have been able to uh, disrupt a ransomware operation, uh, Ragnar Locker, uh, so, um, yeah, that one yeah, is very encouraging to hear. Um, involved US, European Union and um, Japanese agencies uh, working together on that and they've seized the uh, Ragnar Locker uh, Group's uh, dark web portal and, you know, that was what was being used to uh, extort victims by, you know, publishing stolen mm. uh, data. So... <coughs> Yeah, we uh, always appreciate it when uh, when law enforcement manages to uh, uh, to get a good outcome there. Apparently, the European Police Agency uh, have arrested a, a 35 year old um, chap in uh, in Paris a few days ago, uh, who is considered the main uh, the main perpetrator uh, of of the operation and. Yeah, they searched their home in developers' home in uh, in, in Czech Republic, and also um, interviewed associates in, in Spain and in Latvia. So yeah, hopefully that's a another another good win. Yes, let's hope so. But there's always bad stuff going on as well. Uh, I saw. Um, oh come Octa, on! Don't, don't bring us down. Like, at least Octa let... got hit. Which uh, yeah, there's there's a there's uh, a bit of stuff online. Around that one, so those organisations um, using Okta will no doubt be wanting to have a look into that and, and look at how that impacts them. And then the other uh, news caught my attention, and it's sort of in that sort of future picture is we're hearing that General Motors and Honda are planning to launch their cruise robo taxis in Japan mm. um, but a date of by 2026 was mentioned so when it's kind of that far out it tends to suggest that there's this is not a sort of super easy thing for them to do we know the cruise vehicles have been um, uh, you know busy and in, in, in a few you know US uh, locations and mm. and probably the most footage you know we see has been around um, San, Fran- San Francisco, yes. uh, and of course, autonomous vehicles being um, you know being fairly heavily uh, tested in in parts of China. Uh, but uh, yeah, when when you hear a hear a uh, a date that's that far out, it's uh, a little bit a little bit hard to know, um, you know what what the challenge might be as to why they don't just jump in and 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 get it done. So sounds like they still need a lot of mapping data, and there's maybe you know, a chunk of work still to do on their, their AI to work in those different markets. Yeah, I, I mean, the physical world is a messy place um, mm. and mm. a difficult one to to operate in. I, I remember one of the projects uh, we did was 
um, at a landfill site, um, detecting whether people were getting too close to the machinery and therefore dangerous. And you would think that that's quite straightforward, like mm. detecting mm. a machine, detecting where someone is, but you're in a landfill, so lots of things actually look like a machine to, yeah, to the okay. AI because yeah. of all yeah. these strange shapes. Yeah, okay. And then yeah. you've got seagulls flying in front of the camera or sitting on them. And so even quite a simple use case, when you start layering in the real world and how people interact, how someone's going to interact with one of these self-driving cars, like yep. does their driving change because they know it's a self-driving mm, car? Mm, but the, mm. the real world and the overlap with the digital world is a, is a messy, fascinating space. So yeah, yeah I, th really I think is. we're a long way from yeah, yeah. the mass adoption of... Um, of self-driving vehicles. Well, it's been Very inter in interesting with, uh, you know, Tesla's e FSD, uh, you know, with their so-called full self-driving, you know, tech where, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of people that have got access to the, the beta of their, their version 11 tech in the States. Uh, you know, Musk has showed off, he did a mm, live stream, mm. uh, you know, a few weeks back on on their, their uh, version version 12. And you know we we were told you know, a few months ago how that you know this that tech they're going to start testing in a bunch of countries. Uh, there were jobs listed in in New Zealand uh, for you know for people to to basically you know ride along uh, while while yes. you know the Tesla vehicles would test this technology. Uh, now I haven't seen any confirmations of of anybody, and I'm sure there's non-disclosure agreements and. And so on, you know, wrapping around these things. But you know, I haven't heard that whether they necessarily actually kicked off those trials because Musk specifically mentioned New Zealand, uh, and there were a bunch of countries that that that, that were, this was supposed to be happening in. But on their earnings call, we just heard he's really playing down the international uh, <laughs> thing as, as being as being further off. So, you know, the, I think you know there there was that feeling like, well, they're testing here now. That's just the forerunner, so they can turn on the beta to people in yes. in different parts of the world. Uh, but the the latest comments from Musk, if you're uh, if you like me and waiting for this technology, then uh, you might want to uh, yeah dampen your expectations a little bit and uh, yeah I, not I th uh, not not start getting too excited anytime soon. <laughs> I, I think the my the the more fun route might be to combine these delivery drones with you know taxis. So. This bigger drone can just come and pick you up from wherever you are and deliver you somewhere. Yep, you know, much less to I'm crash into. I'm happy with that approach. Yeah, too. Either right. way, it's good for me. Right, um, it's yep. good. Well, I'll sign you up to my beta version <laughs> of that, Paul, and, and see how far across Auckland we can get you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that, sir. Um, now on to uh, business at hand, Black Black Pearl Group. Um, tell us a little bit about your role there. How long have you been involved? Yeah, it's a super exciting time at the moment. So, yeah, I joined in March last year. So ooh, coming up to, I guess, 18 months now, maybe mm, 20. Mm. Um, and, yeah, fascinating place. You know, like when I first joined, um, probably what we were best known for was in the email space. Mm. And so a lot of my friends, my more blunt uh, friends, asked me what the heck I was doing, <laughs> you know, moving from, you know, AI in, into email. And so, you know, what I had to explain to them is, well, when you think about what happens in email, you've got 
names, titles, addresses, phone numbers. You've got this incredible wealth of personal information. Huge amount of traffic trying to work out uh, what's a human interaction versus a spam interaction or a, or a virus checking interaction. So a bunch of machine learning, you know, true applied machine learning going on there. I wouldn't, wouldn't call that AI, you know, it's more machine yep. learning. Yep. And then this incredible um, platform uh, that is running all of that, absorbing all of that, and the opportunity to think about how do you take that engine plus the data and create new additional products from it. Um, such as the one we launched earlier this year. So, yeah, and, and it's still a fairly small company and that just suits me down to the ground. Yes, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'm thinking about big strategic plays yep. and other times I'm reading line by line through a contract, you know, to, to make sure that it all makes sense. Yeah, uh, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, I love it. So how many people are at now in New Zealand and then there's a, an offshore team as well, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. So we've got uh, New Zealand, um, a few in India, uh, the US and also in Europe. So yeah. there's probably about half the people are in New Zealand, so yeah. you know, about 20. Yeah. Um, that's some of the development team, sales team, leadership customer success mm. uh, our primary market is the US so yep. that's where we've got some sales people and our chief revenue officer yep. uh, who's amazing um, and then we've got some support and just doing some recruitment for some development in India and then we've got uh, a whole new a whole different product team based in, in Europe yeah yeah and so um, you know what is what is the you know your your technology sort of platforms look like at the moment because you've got the original sort of you know email software mm. developed here then there's the uh, acquisition a European acquisition and then now you've got this uh, pearl pearl diver, pearl diver. Um, yeah product um, yeah what are the what are the technologies and so on behind the scenes and and what is what does each of them deliver. Yeah, so what we've got underpinning it all is what we call the Pearl Engine. So, you know, you can detect a bit of a, a naming theme there, but <laughs> the, the Pearl Engine is our private platform uh, running on Azure, but using some other services as well. Uh, and that holds our reusable components. So, you know, many of your listeners will know, you know, a micro uh, services architecture. And... What that allows us to do is combine those components into different products at near zero marginal cost. So uh, the original mail product, elements of that were able to be surfaced in the uh, acquisition mail product and vice versa. And then the uh, Pearl Diver product is really about these data sets we hold, plus all of our front-end componentry and uh, our data querying systems to be able to absorb it and present it. And I know, you know, some of some of that may sound like fluff, but I guess the the proof point of that is Pearl Diver uh, began on a whiteboard in uh, January. You know, like Nick and I were literally drawing on a whiteboard. I can picture it now. We began building that in February and we began selling it in late March, April. And in three months, it did $1.5 million annual recurring revenue. So the power of that engine is really the ability to innovate very rapidly 
with a new product, test whether the market's there, and deploy that at scale. Mm, mm. So that's the kind of thing that gets me super excited. Yeah, um, yeah. And now we're extending some of that, so there's some additional services in the AI space in addition to this machine learning. Mm, mm. Mm. So walk us through the, the Pearl Diver product, because we chatted about it before you know, before we started the, the podcast, and it's it's very much focused on the on the US market as, as where it it, uh, it works. And interestingly, I'd you know I've been I'd had a look around in this particular sort of product space myself previously because of, of something we'd built in house sort of going back a, a decade or so. But yeah, walk us through a, a little bit around you know what it does and why why are people sort of you know signing up for it at pace. Yeah, and what you told me about your product. 10 years ago was fascinating, Paul. So I feel like that's a whole nother podcast where we need to <laughs> delve into that. Um, but yeah, so Pearl Diver, I think the easiest way to explain it is we're all familiar with using Google or Facebook, and we can use those services very freely and at no charge um, and consume the content that we get through there. And in return, uh, Google and Facebook and those other services are able to utilize the data that's flowing around for retargeting, advertising, segmentation, that kind of stuff. And so what Pearl Diver does is create that technology for a small, medium-sized business and their websites and, and their email traffic. So using Pearl Diver, they're able to uh, gather the information about visits and traffic to their site and use that for segmentation, uh, marketing and sales. So it's a, it's an extremely attractive product for small, medium-sized businesses that are looking for growth, um, to grow their top line. And I think if you talk to any small, medium-sized business owner, said, would you like to grow your top line? Like I, all of them will say yes. So we're, we're very fortunate to have uncovered you know, this technology and this data and being able to wrap it up in a very simple, easy-to-use uh, front end that a small, medium-sized business in the US can use uh, and just have that very strong direct line to growth. Mm, uh, mm. So it's beautiful. So what what does it do exactly? Does it, uh, my, my understanding of this, yeah, this particular uh, area is this, this type of tool um, lets you really drill into who's visited your website, uh, you know, down down to you know because of I guess the electronic footprint that mm. that that uh, you know gets left around the, the web and the different places that people visit and so on. Um, you're actually able to kind of tap into a, a data set when someone visits your you know if someone visits your website with a tool like this, you can effectively work out what company they're from and maybe even, you know, who they are as an, as an individual. So you can then, you know, you can then do some sort of outreach to them. Is that is that effectively how it, how it operates? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And so, you know, the important things are to make sure that your website is set up with all the privacy and compliance that, that is required. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the US, that means, you know, accepting cookies and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, US operates and I opt out technology uh, process um, so we help people get that all set up so they're completely safe um, and then yeah it's picking up particular 
attributes such as IP address or made mobile uh, advertising ID and triangulating those and playing it back against an identity resolution network mm -hmm. uh, where that information is held. So, yeah, as you say, you can see which companies or individuals are visiting your website and be able to, you know, segment or, or reach out to those. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I think I heard someone say, I wish I could attribute them, but I, I can't remember who said it, that mm -hmm. all things being equal, if you could double your leads you can double your revenue. And so that, that's exactly what Pearl Dive is doing, is, is doubling the opportunity for you to reach out to people, or more than doubling in reality, but it's yeah. a nice word, double. Yeah, yeah. And and look, you know, when, when I, I you know, looked through some of the numbers, and you'll probably know these things better than than, than I did, um, you know, I guess reminded me of a, you know, I guess uh, a, lot of, a lot of sort of software, uh, earlier stage sort of you know firms where there's quite a bit of loss. It's quite expensive to sort of you know build build an operation like this. I think mm. it was sort of you know five million dollar losses sort of couple of years in a in a row. Um, but if you can grow that recurring revenue without too much expense, then that's that's where it gets sort of gets exciting, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you you have to invest. The thing about technology and technology products is you have to build them and you have to have those assets first. Uh, and then those first customers, you know, the ROI on those is terrible because uh, you, you've invested all this money. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Black Pearl has invested a lot in the Pearl engine to have that, you know, platform there that we can grow additional products on, create additional products. And then, yeah, the, the marginal cost of adding a product or the marginal cost of adding a customer is very small indeed. So yeah, we're in this uh, very happy place at the moment mm. where uh, we keep hitting uh, record months in terms of sales. So yeah. Uh, yeah. each month is a new record, which is a, a pretty great place to be. Yeah, and and so how do you go about acquiring those you know those new those new customers uh, in the states? Because it, it might not be that people are necessarily tripping across your website and that you're mm. able to use your own technology. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, you, you, you kind of probably have to go out to, you know, to other other audiences, right? Because most people are probably aren't aware yeah. that your technology exists and, and, and to look for it. Would, uh, that, that be, would that be true? Yeah, that's exactly right. So there are three primary sources. You're quite right. We use our own technology um, to, to help remarket and, and reach out. The second is um, really traditional, you know, digital marketing of, mm -hmm. of advertising. Mm -hmm. People then um, ask to receive a demo and it's that very traditional kind of uh, direct sales motion. Yep. Um, and then thirdly, and where uh, there's a lot of accelerating growth is around partners. So yep. um, if you're a digital marketer out there with, you know, 100 customers, they're really demanding of you to prove that you are adding value. Mm. And so something like Pearl Diver added into the services that you can provide them really shows very tangible return on the investment they're making. So there's those digital marketing partners and then we have other what we call enterprise partners or product partners where they're building Pearl Diver in particular 
into their service. So, okay. yep. so yep. Uh, there's a um, CRM platform uh, that is focused around car dealerships and Pearl Diver is one of the services they offer within their suite of services. Oh, great. Um, so, yeah, and that allows us to reach into verticals where you really require quite deep knowledge of how that business works to be able to return really good value to them mm, and mm. have services that are tailored for them. Yeah, and then they're doing the, the selling for you as well, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it's really, you know, it gives them additional components that they wouldn't be able to otherwise build. They know the customers really well. And, yeah, as you say, it allows us to sell to one and reach, you know, hundreds mm, or thousands mm. Uh, of customers. So that's a pretty exciting space as well. Yeah. Now, US is, uh, you know, it's a really big market, but Absolutely it's also pretty massive. challenging to to sell into and and no doubt there are there are competitors. Yeah. Uh, you know, how do you how do you how do you see it sort of, you know, thing things playing out for the, for the growth there sort of, you know, bearing in mind the you know the challenges of selling into 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 such a big market and the fact that I imagine uh, you know, your competitors are working hard too. Yeah, I think we've got a, a real um, ace up our sleeve with Cheryl Presley, who's our CRO. She's um, based in the US and was global partnerships for Microsoft and then global partnerships for uh, Google. And so her knowledge of how to uh, find and win these partners mm. and establish good working relationships with them is, is yep. really key. Yeah. And she's just a phenomenal person. <laughs> I learn a lot from her every day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you're quite right. The US is huge. And what we tend to find is that there are some competitors out there. Mm. But mm. by and large, the people that we're talking to don't know that this technology exists at all. Yeah, okay. um, so it's new to them. Mm. So and you have to kind of educate the market effectively. We do, yeah. Mm. And, and that's why the simplicity of the product and the absolute kind of clear ROI that you gain more from your website that you've invested in, mm, mm, you know, is mm. very key. Yeah, yeah. And then one of the other aspects is that, um, you know, we're a small business ourselves, so we're very aware of the constraints that small and medium-sized businesses have. And so one of the things that we wanted to do was make the pricing be a no-brainer, so you didn't even really have to think about it. Like the value was so obvious and the price was so compelling. And so that's something that we're also very keen to keep is that no-brainer um, mm, pricing. Mm, mm. Um, and given the quality of the product, I think that's a really nice combo, you know, kind of a one-two punch of yep. obvious value and, and, and compelling price. Yeah. Do you see the Pearl Diver product as having a sort of a particular – lifespan in the market because we see, uh, you know, in the European Union, we have different privacy regulations to sort of deal with. US has obviously got their current approach, New Zealand, Australia, you know, everywhere else sort of, you know, takes a, takes a different approach. Seems like US is your market, but there's no guarantee that uh, the rules don't sort of change under you at some point, yeah? Yeah, no, I... Hundred percent, and we keep a really close eye on the movements in that space. So California is the kind of the most advanced in that mm, area. Mm. There's about seven other states that have have either adopted or are adopting similar 
kinds of um, regulations. And so we're well within the space at the yep. moment. Like yep. We're not yep. pushing the boundaries, mm. but you're quite right that this is an area that, you know, data will become increasingly commoditized and, and just be a, a kind of a, a raw source. Mm. And so our, our advantage at the moment uh, will decline over time. And so we're looking at uh, generating additional sources ourselves mm. and also just keeping that um, interface super slick and super simple and then uh, starting to execute on some of the data that you get. So you know, already we have some ability to feed through to CRM systems and, and that kind of thing. But you know, one of the areas we're looking at is increasing automation. Um, but there's some strong players there too. So you know, there's nothing like a bit of competition. You want to play against strong yeah. uh, opposition and that makes you stronger. So yeah. Yeah. looking yeah. forward to it. Oh, it sounds, uh, sounds really exciting. So the, the current sort of um, funding round uh, through sharesies, what sort of money is uh, is Black Pearl Group looking to looking to raise? Yeah, so it's been phenomenally successful, um, and yeah, there's a good offer there uh, where I think it's about a thirteen or fourteen percent discount on the current share price. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully, if you're on sharesies, you you will yeah. have got that. Um, so yeah, uh, you know we'll be looking to raise several million dollars, and that'll see us. Uh, comfortably through to where uh, we're aiming to become profitable, which will be in the latter half of next year. Okay. Um, and there's a few kind of, as we covered at our annual shareholder meeting, there's a few levers there around price, volume, uh, retention. Um, but yeah, I'm feeling pretty confident uh, about our projection um, kind of uh, towards the, the the latter half of next year. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, then we'll be able to do some even cooler stuff. So yep, yep, yep. it's good times. Oh, that's uh, that's very exciting. Well, I hope uh, hope that goes well, and we'll certainly look forward to to following you know the progress. It's um, um, you know not not too many uh, you know, newer uh, tech firms have been you know listing on the New Zealand Stock Exchange yeah. in in recent times. So uh, you know you certainly get some. Some extra attention, uh, you know, yes. from from that perspective, which you know can't can't hurt. No, I, th- I, th- I think we're either the only one or one of two that listed in that year. Mm. Um, mm. So that was yeah, that was pretty unusual. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then yeah, it just gets a little bit of additional support um, because of that, and, and Shazies have been amazing at getting it out there. Fantastic, fantastic. Oh, well, great to great to have you on the show, Sam. Thank oh, you. thank you, Paul. It's yeah. been really fun. Thanks very much. And, of course, a big thank you to our show partners as well, Gorilla Technology, HP, Spark, Two Degrees, and One NZ. And we'll look forward to catching everybody again next week. Uh, if you've been watching the live stream, then, of course, uh, be sure to subscribe through your favourite podcast app, sort of Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc., cetera, uh, to catch the audio for when you don't catch the live. And, of course, if you've been listening to the audio podcast, uh, make sure you you look out for us on uh, on one of the, the video uh, platforms, be it following myself on, on LinkedIn where we stream or catching uh, video across uh, YouTube, Facebook or X. All right, thanks everyone. See you next week. Cheers. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.